And another thing And another thing And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement. And we have another amazing episode. It's like every week, <laughs> it's just like another peak. It's just like a, I don't know, is this the right word, like a crescendo? Like you think it's like, how could they possibly top that? Yeah, and then get, of course we're getting we higher and higher in the summitry. That's right. <laughs> summitry. Is that a word? Everest. Yeah. Summits. Yeah. Like you're going higher towards the mountain summit. Summitry? Summitry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I didn't, I've heard symmetry, Not, okay. nothing to do with mountains, but. I'm sure our guest can confirm. No, summitry is a thing. Summitry <laughs> is a thing. <laughs> there you go. Well, that bro. voice, that voice you just heard is our guest. We'll introduce him <laughs> shortly. Um, first though, we want to thank. Uh, John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions, of course, our presenting sponsor each week. Uh, couldn't do the show without them. Uh, you can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And Tony, I know you're able to share a little bit more about what they do. Yes, I am, Jody, because Municipal Solutions is Ontario's leading MZO firm. Yes, Municipal Zoning Orders. They are able and they've got a great track record of getting MZOs for their clients. Uh, so those are development approvals, obviously, uh, getting the right permits, planning services. They got to do that with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services, even minor variances and land severances. They can do that, plus good old building permits. Go to municipalsolutions.ca. And then I'm here to remind you that uh, this broadcast and other podcasts are also rebroadcast at 88.7 FM, Hunter's Bay Radio in Muskoka. Go as 8.30 a.m. Saturdays. You go to huntersbayradio.com. You can hear our podcast again. And, of course, you already have a show on there, The Rock and Shindig. The Rock what and is that, Shindig. Every, every two weeks? Uh, every month on a Saturday. Oh, just noon, once a month. Noon until 2, although they've increased my hours, Jody. I'm going from noon until 3 starting next month. Of course. And uh, well, that if they're giving you more hours as it is always is in radio, that means they're paying you more, right? <laughs> that's, that's usually you, how one, it works. One would have thought, but no, apparently not. <laughs> hey, we want to give you another show, uh, but it doesn't come with any more money. That's it. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll do it. That's, that's radio. It. You know this better than most, Jody. Um, so are people stopping you in the street now even more that our show is now up uh, in the Muskokas or what? A couple people have mentioned it actually, so uh, it's it's getting there. It's getting there. You know, eight thirty a.m. Saturday slot. You know, maybe not prime time yet, but uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's definitely a thing. Excellent. Also, don't forget LooneyPolitics.com, a wonderful news aggregator. Uh, we have exclusive content that you can only get by being a subscriber there. Use the code podcast, and you'll get fifty percent off an annual subscription. Once again, Looney politics.com and i should mention yes we will be doing weekly recaps i guess probably starting this week because the yes. writ drops for the provincial election here in ontario so yes we've kind of been doing that for elections across the country uh for loony politics so you'll get a brief little snippet of our legendary wisdom uh each week but here's the kicker you gotta subscribe so 
I, I, I mean, I can't imagine who won't subscribe. No, exactly. They- They're getting all this content. <laughs> it's just crazy. The only difference with us on that, Tony, is uh, we do get paid more when we do that. So it is. Uh, it is true. Yes, the loony politics is. We're loaded. <laughs> We're so rich. It's not even funny. Not as anyway. rich as our sponsor who bought a new car this week. So who's that? Oh, did he buy that car? No, he bought a he bought a Maserati. Whoa. Well, yeah, but didn't he post a picture? Like, was he that posted was that the a car picture no? of the of the Mercedes? No, but so I, I was I was uh, I was going after him and said, "Boy, sorry, sorry. sorry, guys, who is your sponsor? Like Thurston Howell or something?" Like, <laughs> that's who, right. Yeah, I know. Who, 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 who that, sorry, that that reference will be lost on any listener under fifty. But what uh, what kind of like um, money bags dude is this? Who's He's got multiple European sports cars. He's got no. He doesn't have the Mercedes. He bought the he bought the Maserati. But it's it's our great sponsor, John Mutton and Municipal Solutions. Business hey, is good, John. John Mutton, if if you're listening, I have a podcast, and um, I I could use some ad money too, and or and or a ride in that Maserati. That sounds pretty cool. I know, I know. I'm very jealous. So uh, okay, the Muttonator is getting a lot of uh, good advice from the show. I'm call me. <laughs> we should probably introduce our guest, eh, Jody? <laughs> it's That's probably started. a good idea, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in case you haven't uh, picked up on who our guest is, it is Jonathan Kay. He is a freelance contributor to the National Post. You've probably seen his byline there. He is a former editor-in-chief for the Walrus Magazine. He is senior editor of Quillette. Is that how you pronounce it? Quillette? Yeah. So it's pronounced like Gillette, like the razors, Yeah. And uh, but with Q-U at the, at the beginning. Quillette, an online magazine. He's also an author and speaker. He is a board game enthusiast, Jody. And he wrote the book, quote, Your Move, What Board Games Teach Us About Life. Is that correct, John? Yes, yes. That although that's not my most recent book. My most my most recent book is a history book. It's about the history of film exhibition. But two books ago, as uh, two thousand and twenty, maybe. Yeah, that was my book on uh, board games. Yeah. So what 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 do board games teach us about life? Oh man. Um, <laughs> so each chapter of that book it looks at a different game and looks at the examples, the real life lessons that that game has. Uh, so here, I'll just yeah. give, you, give you an example of, of a game that, that probably everybody knows, which is Monopoly. And we talk a little bit about why Monopoly, from a game design point of view, is actually not a good game. It's one of these games that everybody plays, but everybody hates. Um, <laughs> and the reason Monopoly is not a good game is because the rich get richer and the poor get poor in Monopoly. So if you have properties in, you know, let's say you have a bunch of properties and you land on some guy's property with a bunch of houses or a hotel or whatnot, and you got to pay him a lot of money, you don't have the cash in hand, you have to mortgage your own property. Right. And you might have to sell your own houses at a 50% discount according to the rules. Um, and so you pay the other guy off, but in so doing, you cripple your own ability to make income. So the mechanics of the game, it's like a snowball effect. Yeah. And now the guy who, who has your money, he's buying more houses, more hotels. If he has properties that are mortgaged, he's unmortgaging them. Um, so we talk about how if you're interested in preventing terrible things from happening to people because like they have financial misfortune, Monopoly is a pretty good example of how 
an economic system that doesn't have um, mechanics in it to stop this kind of runaway dynamic right. uh, that provides, you know, for instance, just, you know, people can declare bankruptcy, they can get government assistance. Uh, in some cases, they have, you know, family and friends who can help them out. Uh, there's unemployment insurance, uh, you know, there's high rates of progressive taxation. Um, but yeah, we like, but we don't take like a, a political point of view. It's not like sort of for and against laissez-faire capitalism. But we talk about when people make arguments about how laissez-faire capitalism can cause like real severe boom and bust uh, cycles in real economies and make income inequality bad for people. You you know, monopoly is a game, but you can actually learn a lot of that kind of real life stuff from monopoly. And, so I and, think, and human behavior, how human behavior works too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And human be so human behavior, we have a couple of chapters on that. And, um, you know, I'll give you another example. We, we have a chapter, um, a game called dead of winter, which is a more obscure game. It's, it's a, it's a zombie themed game. And it's an interesting game because it's a game where you, everyone playing wins together or loses together. Okay. Mm. So it's, that's known as a, like, it's like a collaborative game or, um, you know, co-op game. Sure. Co cooperative game. Cause, cause some game, most games are like, you know, I win, you lose or vice versa, but this is a cooperative. Game. However, it's a cooperative game with a twist where there's a public objective, which is that all your characters have to survive the night, uh, you know, in this zombie infested town and you either survive the night or you don't. And if you don't survive the night in this board game, everyone loses. And if you do survive, people win. However, there's also private objectives. So a private objective might be like you get a, a secret card that says your character uh, is a junkie and he's got to find time to raid the pharmacy overnight to feed his habit. Or um, your character is actually a psychopath and he's got to kill all the other characters. This is in the game. There's no violence. but yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting because on the surface, everyone's like, Rah rah, play for the team. We're all going to survive together, you know, um, survive together or die alone type thing. But then everyone has this secret objective, this secret agenda that they can't share with other people. And they have to go about pursuing that secret private objective kind of without tipping their hand. Mm -hmm. um, and we talk a little bit about how this is kind of what it's like to navigate life with strangers, right? Yeah. You know, you're at a corporation or you're at a job, you're, um, and on the surface, you're all on the same team. Um, but there's also, everybody has their own agendas, which aren't always public. And obviously it's not as dramatic as, as life and death and zombies, but, you know, we are, we're all familiar with like interdepartmental feuds and rivalries oh, with yeah, organizations. Yeah, office politics, sure. You know, sure. some guy says, hey, I got this great employee. He's not working out in my department, but man, he is so skilled. And uh, I like you, I like you, Joe. So I, you know what? I'm going to give you the chance to take him on in your department, and then you take him on. And of course, he's like, yeah. "Oh my God, this is what the hell am I going to do with this guy?" Hey, Joe, and, Joe, Jody wants to break in here. What, what do you what, what do you want to say, Jody? I was just going to say, what does hungry hippos teach us? In <laughs> well, yeah, um, hungry hungry hippos <laughs> is an example of. Um, I guess it it qualifies as a dexterity based game. So there are some games where there's actual physical dexterity involved, right? So like if you play, um, God, I'm trying to, there's, there's not a lot of examples of these games 
Um, uh, Kerplunk. See, I don't play. So I'm a gaming snob. I don't play these like Oper- Operation. Yeah. So Operation is an example of it. It's not a board game. It's a tabletop game, I guess. Uh, you call it. Uh, okay. But um, it's an example of a dexterity based game because if you're if you're a klutz, you're just your pliers are always going to hit the metal and you're going to lose. Um, We don't really talk about that because, you know, in the book, my co-author and I actually, I mean, the thing is, so what the thing that's interesting is my co-author and I play some pretty obscure games and maybe some complicated games. We kind of had to ratchet down the games we talk about a little bit because most people aren't interested in hearing about like really obscure war games and stuff like that. They're more interested in games to be honest, I mean, they probably, if, if we had something f- interesting to say about Hungry Hungry Hippos, I bet they would be interested in that because people know what Hungry Hippos. Yeah, they, they know it, yeah. Or Battleship. We don't talk about Battleship, oh, but you Battleship, know, if, yeah. if we had something uh, insightful or that we thought was insightful to say about Battleship, we would have had a chapter on that. But there's, I, I don't think that I didn't have anything to say about Battleship. I think it's a stupid game, so I, I, I didn't write anything about that. Uh, I must say to our audience, this was not the topic that I envisaged, but it's been... <laughs> But oh yeah, yeah. I'm glad we. Well, should uh, we go back to talking about that dude's cool Maserati? Because I mean, yeah, that, you want uh, to talk about the Maserati? Yeah, that, that sounds <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get him. We'll get him to to do a, a spin for sure. Okay, cool. Uh, I, we give out mugs. He gives he gives out rides in Maseratis. Oh, I would take. I'd go to Huntsville or wherever. You, are you guys in Huntsville? No, I'm I'm in Muskoka. Jody's in Belleville, and okay. uh, and uh, John, uh, our sponsor, is in Bowmanville. Okay, cool. So there you go. So you have to maybe trek it to hoof it to Bowmanville. Okay. We'll we'll, we'll talk to John. We'll we'll put in a good word for you. How's sure. that? Sure. Yeah. So, John. Yeah. What's wrong with our society? <laughs> well, one thing that's wrong with our society is we we don't have enough problems because yes. I mean if you look at stuff that people complain about, right? Uh, so, so one thing I love history podcasts, right? So right now. And I promise I'm going to get back to your question and I'm not going to answer it by reference to like Maserati's or board game. <laughs> so, um, so I'm listening to a history of England podcast, which is the entire history of England, like from the time of the Angles and the Saxons all the way to, I think the guy goes up to 1900 and I'm on episode 140. And right now, um, it's, it's Henry the fourth. Who's just actually Henry the fourth is, is, is dying. And soon it'll be Henry the fifth. And, you know, We've just had uh, the Black Plague, maybe 50 years, 60 years previous, um, the Hundred Years' War. Um, I'm learning about all the horrible ways you can die on a battlefield or off a battlefield. Like, if you took those guys, those people from the 14th century or early 15th century, and you told them the kind of things that we argue about, like, oh man, I have to get my third vaccine shot for free against this the disease. It's going to take me 20 minutes. I was supposed to play disc golf today. This sucks. I'm going to tweet about how much I hate the government. Like they would think, A, that we're living in utopia because most people, not everybody, but many people in our society live well into their 70s and 80s and even 90s and beyond. And, and often well into old age with comfort when we need medical uh, attention, there's this anesthetic, there's, you know, antibiotics, um, you know, we unparalleled safety, uh, political freedoms. Um, we're not serfs. Um, we get to vote in these weird things called elections that they wouldn't quite understand. 
And, but then I think these visitors from the 14th century would also just be amazed how much time we we spend bitching about our remaining problems. Mm. And by the way, I'm like mea, mea maxima culpa because I kind of make my my living bitching about small problems, right? Like I bitch about freedom of speech being sometimes curtailed and cancel culture and all this stuff. And um you know, I'm not it's 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 not like, well, okay, I I go back to the fifth, you know, fifteenth and fourteenth centuries and, and all of a sudden I gain this like magical perspective. I'm not pissed off about this stuff anymore. I'm still pissed off about this stuff because we're human beings. We're you know, we we, we never we never quite know how to relax, right? Like that's that's why we spend all our time listening to these ridiculous meditation podcasts and learning how to breathe and all this stuff and yeah. listening to Sam Harris um, because we don't know how to relax because human beings are problem seeking creatures. Um, our, our evolutionary brain is conditioned to expect that there's challenges and threats in our environment and we have to find them because if we don't find them, they're going to find us and we're going to, we're going to perish. Um, so, so that's, that's one of our big problems. Um, and then, you know, that's connected to other problem, which is tribalism. And, um, we're tribal creatures. We organize society, society according to tribes. And that used to mean national tribes and we'd fight wars against each other. But countries like Canada don't really fight wars that much anymore. Um, sometimes we deflect our tribalism into sports. Hmm. Uh, we're having this conversation as the Maple Leafs are, I think, beating uh, the lightning for a zip and it's a subject of great interest because that's a sort of deflected form of tribalism. But a lot of the tribalism goes into politics and, you know, woke versus non-woke and, um, you know, in Canada it's, it's, do you like Trudeau or do you not like Trudeau? And the COVID stuff really produced a lot of tribalism and it's for the people who've been medically affected by, by COVID that nothing else matters except the medical effects. And, you know, God forbid you've lost loved ones and, 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 you know, people have been, lives and families have been ruined by the medical effects. But for a lot of other people, the cultural and political effects of COVID have actually been much more severe than anyone would have anticipated with our society being divided between how to respond to it and lockdowns and masks and stuff like that. And and here in Toronto where it's, I mean, God, there's people have just, in some cases, lost their minds and are losing their minds right now because... What's interesting is the pandemic is going away now, right? Like if you, oh, I know, at, and they can't, they can't stand it. They don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> like you got these people. It's not over, folks. You got, you got to wear your masks. I, I was in a park and walking my dog, and this other guy had his dog, and he did not have his mask on, and I, I shot him a look. I said, "You got to get your mask on if you care about people." It's like you can kind of see, like, um, it's like these immune systems. You know, people say sometimes kids, like, I don't know if it's true, but kids get more allergies. And sometimes other conditions because their immune system, there's not enough pathogens for, to occupy the immune systems. So the immune system goes hay- haywire and starts like kind of attacking itself. Um, yeah, I, it, I played with dirt when I was a kid. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, but, uh, but not as much dirt, I bet, as your grandparents did. Yeah, for um, true, true. And, and, and so as a result, we have this highly refined um, threat sensitivity mechanism. And, and a lot of it was directed like COVID. It was like, you know, okay, I got my mask. I, I, you know, I got my vaccines. I filled out all this paperwork to, I don't know, go to the United States. Like there was a lot of busy work, you know, um, rules falling. Like it's still, when I go to the dentist, there's like this whole questionnaire I got to do. 
Um, and that occupied a lot of people and it gave people a sense of like purpose and, but now that that's going and there's a lot of people out there who you can kind of tell that this was their life for the last two years and like not just their life, but like kind of hectoring other people about following the rules and they don't, it's like they need, they need to take up macrame or something like that. Like there's, there's <laughs> just this, there's a COVID sized hole, a COVID shaped hole in their life right now and they don't quite know what to do with it. But, uh, you know, coming back to one of your earlier points as well, because you, you talked about uh, how you, uh, you do talk about woke issues, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and th- this isn't just about some disjointed people looking for an argument. There, there's actually, the, for the first time in my lifetime, at least from a majoritarian point of view, a, a true questioning of our civilization as a result of, uh, you know, critical race theory or gender policies or what have you. And and you've you've written about this too. Is that is that what you're worried about as well? You know, it's it's important to remember how quick ideas um, rise and fade. And you know, there was this. Uh, <laughs> I used to when I was playing tennis, there was. Uh, I remember there was, I was passing, I was at a tennis court and I was passing by this, this elderly lady who was coming off the court. And, uh, I just like, I made small talk. I said, uh, terrible weather we're having because it was, it was about to rain. And she looked at me sternly and said, well, if you don't like it, just wait a day. And I thought that was such wonderful advice, mm-hmm. not just about weather, but, you know, ideas now, especially because of social media, the velocity of ideas is very high. And so right now in Canada, there's this fashion to just like talk about that Canada's garbage, we're this genocide state, uh, Trudeau loves to do this, you know, we're this genocide state built on a big mountain of indigenous skulls and, oh, we're white supremacists in the sense. And I like to remind people, the progressive dogma just maybe 10 years ago was exactly the opposite. United States is garbage. We're this wonderful environmentalist, pacifistic, multicultural, multilateral, kinder, gentler, Medicare-powered, soft power, uh, light unto nations. Like the progressive view is that Canada's awesome because we're not the United States. And to be a progressive Canadian intellectual was to believe in the wonderfulness of Canada for those reasons. Then a few years passed and suddenly it's like, oh, the opposite, uh, you know, turns out we're a genocide state. We're like North Korea, too bad. And that's maddening that this dogma could switch so quickly. And among the same people who were lecturing us like just a few years ago about how amazing Canada is, now it's, you know, don't celebrate Canada Day or you're a war criminal. And yes, it's maddening that they're such hypocrites. On the other hand, it also is illuminating about just how superficial and fleeting these ideological attachments are. Mm. And uh, two years ago, you remember, uh, you probably had progressive friends on their Facebook pages, like abolish the police, get rid of the police. And I was like, you're out of your, you're absolutely out of your minds that you (laughs) want to live in a society without police. Like you're an idiot. I I know where you're going on this now. And, 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 and by the way, and like, and all these people lived in Rosedale and they, they had no need for the police because, uh, you know, they lived in a gated compound and, Mm. um, but, you know, on their Facebook page, it was like, I stand in solidarity with the people of Minneapolis, all this garbage. And then now, as we're having this conversation, yeah, uh, you know where I'm going with this. You've yeah. got the same people who are just like so happy to see Ottawa police cracking mm. heads, 
against demonstrators and arresting people and um and and I'm like, hey, uh, hey, I got this, uh, I got this pretty cool screen grab of some stuff you were you were Facebook and tweeting in. Oh, I think it was June 2020. Let's take a look at it, right? And it's <laughs> it's like yeah. hashtag abolish the police. Uh, you know, the thin blue line is a cancer. Like all this crap. And again, is it maddening that they're such hypocrites? Of course, it's maddening. On the other hand it shows you that if, if, if you get, see some guy on a conservative TV show who say critical race theory is destroying our society or intersectionality is destroying our society. Right. Part of me is like, yeah, I'm not crazy about some of this extreme critical race theory stuff, but I'm kind of like that old lady. I'm like, you know what? Go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, and there'll be something else to, to scream about. And so sometimes, like in my writing, in fact, I just wrote a piece about this for, for the National Post, it hasn't been published yet. It's it's not always the content of these progressive social panics that that bug me, because if you if you blink, you're gonna they're gonna change it overnight, like with the police stuff. What bothers me is the intolerance toward intellectual pluralism. The idea that there's one revealed truth and everybody else who does everybody who doesn't believe it is like as a bigot and a fascist. Well, I was going to mention that because, of course, uh, you know, growing up in the 60s and 70s, the intellectual left, at least at that point, wanted more free speech and thought that the state and the right wing people who ran the state were trying to crush free free speech. That was you know what Berkeley was about and so on. And now they've they've done this 180 and they're the most intolerant people that I know. Yeah. So. I often see conservatives um, who are like uh, liberals hate free speech or progressives hate free speech. And then you have to remind them like, well, actually uh, let's go back to the nineties when it was conservatives in the United States that wanted to hundred percent pass a, um, you know, an amendment constitutional amendment to ban uh, flag burning. Right. And you know, you can, you can, they're all kind of say, Oh, flag burning isn't speech and stuff like that. But however you define it, like, it was conservatives freaking out about stuff like this. Um, or, or, I Col- or Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, yeah. Uh, this the football player. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, someone told me he was going to become the quarterback at Oakland or something like that. But the point is, the people who like free speech are the people losing the culture war. So if you take a snapshot of any point in history, mm. I'll tell you who the people who are into free speech are. So the time of Martin Luther... Oh, guess what? The Catholic Church doesn't like free speech, but proto-Protestants like free speech and are churning out Martin Luther's stuff like crazy. It's, you know, because they are, they consider themselves, and they were, they're the underdogs. It's, you know, uh, they're the ones getting excommunicated. So, of course, they like free speech. In in the 80s and, and even early 90s, when you had, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, family values, uh, televangelists on every... Every, every channel, look, I was living in the States at the time. Conservatives were ascendant. They were the ones, you know, they were, they were going to strip money from all these cultural institutions. Uh, they were losing their minds over like Robert Maplethorpe and all this stuff. They wanted to prevent you from burning flags. You had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. It was, as you said, it was progress- progressives, as we would now call them, who were into free speech because they, they believed at the time that they were losing the culture war. And free speech is a weapon um, it's like a turbocharger for the underdog and the side that's top dog 
they're skeptical of free speech because like, well, you know, more free speech, the more chance we have being of being dethroned because people are going to point out all our all our hypocrisies and stuff. And and right now, progressives rule the roost in terms of of the culture war. So if you're winning the game, you know, you want the referee to blow the whistle and and that's it. And if you're if you're if you're losing the game, you want the game to keep going. You want to use use speech as a tool to to tell everybody that things can get better. We don't have to keep like getting hectored about all the stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there's you know there's more than one view on many issues. Um, and again, you and I have this conversation five or ten years from now. It could be conservatives who That's are right. impinging yeah. on our free speech. Uh, and you see that. And by the way, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, remember, he's, he went through that phase, he went through so many weird phases, but he went through that phase where he was railing against the Washington Post, he was railing oh, yeah. against yeah. Jeff Bezos. He was, he, would you want Donald Trump to be in charge of what you can say and not say? Of course not. Well, it's funny, um, yeah. funny that uh, Biden's new uh, star chamber that he's trying to create to regulate uh, content, uh, they were, uh, they were kind of on their heels in the last couple of days on people attacking that idea. And finally, t- I think today they came out with, well, actually, this process was started under Donald Trump. <laughs> so they were, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, but that's the thing. It's, a, it's about trust, right? So if, if, I bet if you did a poll and you said they're, they're starting a new commission, that's going to regulate speech in Canada, what you can say on Facebook and Twitter, are you in favor? If you said Doug Ford was in charge of it, you'd probably get maybe 50% of people who supported yeah. it. And if you said Jagmeet Singh was in charge of it, you'd yeah. get maybe another 50%, but I guarantee you'd be a different 50%. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the things you're doing, because um, I, I, I went through your Twitter feed a little bit in advance of this uh, interview. I mean, you do spend some time on Twitter, uh, John, uh, identifying absurdities, hypocrisies, uh, recently, uh, getting us back into this, uh, Ottawa protest. You, you, uh, you, uh, were talking about Catherine Clark, who is saying that the Ottawa protesters should remember the lack of freedoms in Ukraine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that argument, I'd, li- I'd love you to talk about that. And then you had another one, which, which I found interesting about uh, how indigenous spiritualism is basically backdoor creationism and why, you know, why is that okay, but Christian creationism isn't. So I- I'd love you to just talk about those couple of items. So I'm just, I, one thing I should say, I'm delighted to talk about those issues. I think they're good to talk about, but, but it's. It's interesting because a lot of the work I do is not particularly visible. So probably like 80 or 90% of my time as a journalist, you know, I, um, I'm an editor at Quillette or I record my own podcast and I, I edit it and I spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, and I do, I write books and ghostwriting. A lot of that stuff isn't particularly visible, even though it occupies most of my time. But then I'll like tweet about what I ate for breakfast and some neighbor will be like, Hey, good tweet about the McDonald's breakfast. Like, because that's visible and yeah. it, but it feels a little weird because Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, even if I tweet 10 times a day, that's like 20 minutes of my time. Um, however, a lot of stuff I tweet about is, is important to me and you've identified a few of those issues. The, uh, the thing I said about creationism, that was, I tweeted that in a, in a very specific context, which is, as I said in the tweet, uh, UBC has come out with this. It's just the latest institution to come out with some thumbsucker report about, you know, how there's so much system, systemic racism in their institution and they're so racist, which, and it's interesting because you notice that the president of these institutions will announce 
these reports with great fanfare, but he never actually resigns, right? I'm like, well, if your institution's so racist, why aren't you resigning? But it's like, everyone's like, oh, yes, wait, that's awesome that you have a report about how racist you are. It's like, if, if, if you're telling me you run a racist university, I don't think you should get a cent from the government. And I think you should resign because I don't think taxpayers should be supporting racist universities. But they never actually like get to that point in the logical chain. But this 295 page report, which I think from what I can tell on Twitter, I'm the only guy who's read it. Even progressives are sick of these reports. Um, there's this whole portion of it about how students at UBC, you know, one of the first things they should do before classes is like there would be this huge ritual celebration of the creator and everyone would talk about like the creator and like, uh, wait a second. What you're talking about is like a religious ceremony. And mm -hmm. I have no problem with religious ceremonies. You know, Muslims want to pray on campus or Christians or Jews If indigenous people want to observe traditional uh, indigenous spiritual rituals. That's fine. But like having an official, initiation ceremony centered on the great creator of Turtle Island, like you can call it what you want, but I mean, this is, this is a creationist ritual and the people, I mean, this report uh, that came out, I guess this was four or five days ago from UBC. It was like the most, just the language in it is just dripping with progressive dogmas. It's just, you know, intersectionality, this, and um, you know, pronoun check that. And the people celebrating this creationist stuff, they're the same people who would lose their minds if a, a you know, a Catholic or a Protestant or maybe even like a Jewish cleric showed up and, and started uh, preaching their religious faith. I mean, let alone talking explicitly about creationist mythology. And... Um, this shows how lines get redrawn. Like mm -hmm. one of the lines, it used to be sort of social conservatism included a strong strain of Judeo-Christian religiosity. And to be a progressive was to be secular. Right now, the people who seem most excited about explicit forms of religion or at least spiritualism in the public sphere are progressives who want like just way more explicit indigenous religious stuff I mean, I don't think they know anything about it or care anything about it. They just love the idea of like as much of this stuff as possible being shoved down everybody's throat. Like to, to them, that's sort of like a cultural power play. Uh, every time there's a land acknowledgement, you know, every time there's one of these reports come out, it's a big deal for them. They don't care that what they're advocating is like explicitly in contradiction to what they said they wanted from a secular society just a few years ago. So, so that's, that's, that's one of the things you, yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here is good old human behavior confirmation bias, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and sticking to the other side, like, um, you know, a lot of the things Doug Ford's, I mean, like Doug Ford's administration here in Ontario hasn't been like that different from like, if you, if you're an average citizen who doesn't follow politics, you know, you could be forgiven for thinking that it was the same government that's been in power, like for since the days of Dalton McGuinty. Um, you know, Doug Ford's policies during the pandemic, in terms of public health, uh, Ontario, I think, is one of the most vac heavily vaccinated jurisdictions in in the Western world, where I think we're like over ninety percent. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like Doug Ford brought in a flat tax or anything like that. Um, and and a lot, of, and it's sort of this thing you were saying before about how 
people were very angry about what Biden was doing in, until he said, well, actually, it was a Trump thing. And I think there's a lot of policies that Doug Ford does that everyone denounces because he's Doug Ford. And a lot of things Doug Ford does that everybody applauds because he's Doug Ford. It's, it's, it's a branding issue. Um, but I'm sorry, there was, there was another tweet that you mentioned. Oh, I was, uh, Catherine Clark was talking about the Ottawa protest. Yeah, so that was, okay. I mean, that's just, that was, that was crazy. Sometimes you're on social media and you see something that's so facile and it just bugs you that like, it's so popular. Um, like, so what Clark said, I mean, it's, it was stupid. It wasn't like the stupidest thing I've ever seen, but it was pretty stupid. Uh, I'm actually trying to find it on the feed right now. But basically, if I remember, it was saying correctly that compared to people in Ukraine, uh, people in Canada have a ton of freedoms and um, we don't have a lot to complain about. This takes us back to to what we were talking about before, about mm-hmm. I, was, I was doing the, the time traveler thing from um, medieval or um, Middle Ages England, um, but here uh, it's, it's geographic time about Ukraine. So there's Catherine Clark, who's, uh, let's see, co-founder of the Honest Talk MC, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, like a, the great and the good, right? Just mm-hmm. uh, probably has an order of Ontario or, or three. Um, and her tweet is, honestly, civilians are dying in Ukraine, children are starving in Yemen, that's true, and the people protesting in downtown Ottawa still have the guts to demand, quote, freedom, unquote, like she puts quote marks around freedom, in a country with healthcare, public education, social social services, and a democratically elected government. Now, on some level, what she says, it's not wrong. Um, we have we have it pretty good in Canada, but there's there's, there's two things wrong with it. And, and this is why I made a snarky remark about it, which I think is what you're referring to. Yeah. The first thing that's wrong is that the whole point of living in a democracy is that you can say what you believe and complain about what you, what you don't like in society. The deal with democracy isn't like democracy is the objective and once you have it, you have to shut up. The whole idea of democracy is that you can protest and you have free speech and you can petition the government. And you get due process and civil liberties. And within reason, you can also stage public protests that like take the form of, you know, a bunch of people going in downtown Ottawa. Now, I, they don't have the right to park their trucks there for, for weeks on end. I think everybody agrees on that. But this idea that like, well, it's a democracy, so stop exercising your democratic freedoms is like a super weird thing to say. Um, it's... <laughs> it's um it, it's kind of like suggests she maybe she doesn't understand how democracy works i think she does understand how democracy works but it's 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 weird for that reason but she doesn't like what the protesters are right. saying she, she disagrees with it right but right. the second thing and to be fair by the way i heard um when when you when you would see sometimes you see like um left-wing protesters um like pro-palestinian po- protesters and you'll see you'll see conservatives saying well, they shouldn't be allowed to protest, you know, because, oh, are they allowed to protest in Ramallah? Are they allowed to protest in Riyadh? Are they allowed to? And I'm like, well, that's that's not relevant. I mean, like, even if you don't like what they have to say, they should be allowed to protest here. Even even if you find them hypocritical, part of being in a democracy is, is you allow protesters, you don't like to protest. But this gets back to the, the thing that I really didn't like about this. 
She says, in a country with healthcare, public education, social services, and a democratically elected government, like, imagine if somebody said that. Just imagine for a second if two years ago, Black Lives Matter protesters were on the street protesting. Mm-hmm. And, and it was here in Canada, right? So it wasn't like in Minneapolis where they were like protesting something that happened just in, in front of their eyes. Um, and, and like you or I or anybody tweeted, what is up with this BLM, BLM protest? We give these people so much cool stuff with our tax money and they're out in the street protesting. Like that's gratitude for you. Like imagine what would happen to that person. Oh yeah. They, their Twitter account would become like one of those atolls in the Pacific that they did nuclear tests on. Like it would become black glass. It, like they would get ratios so hard and, 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 and rightly so. And, and imagine, you know, during, imagine after there's another thought experiment. Um, it's May, 2021 this time. And uh, Kamloops, BC, Indigenous Band has just announced they that ground-penetrating radar has indicated the possible presence of 215 graves of children. And, and there's protests and all this stuff. And someone comes and says, yeah, that's terrible. On the other hand, let's make a list of all the cool stuff that we pay for with our tax dollars and their reservations, you know, like tens of millions of dollars. So 215 kids, yeah, that's off. Like, that would be seen as maybe even worse than the BLM example and something no one should say. And the reason no one says it is because it's apples and oranges. Just because we live in a rich country, just because we live in a democracy, just because people here live tend to live very privileged lives, if that were the basis for saying, okay, you lose your right to protest on principle things like public health policies you don't like, or the way we treat indigenous people, or our refugee policy, or like a million things that people have different views on, like that's basically kind of how dictatorships work, where they say, hey, we keep the lights on, we make sure everyone's fed, we protect the borders, now shut up and stay out of the streets. So it's a creepy thing. And again, I don't think Catherine Clark is endorsing like North Korean style social contact contract, but it's it's so it's such a facile thing to say and this gets to what why a lot of people react negatively to stuff on twitter is like it bothers me i think this is why a lot of people get bothered by stuff on twitter it bothers me especially because you can see how for half a second it would have a facile kind of logical appeal to someone yeah right? if it was just flat out stupid and it didn't have that little half second spark of oh i, I you know that superficial thing of maybe makes sense. It wouldn't bother me much because I just roll my eyes. And, but it's oh, a lot of people probably nodded their heads in agreement. Well, it's sure. got 30, 31,000 likes, which is wow. like thirty one thousand reasons to be pissed off. And, <laughs> and 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 this this is this is why. Okay, this gets back to what we were saying before: is like we get pissed off about stupid things, and like yeah. this is a super stupid reason to get pissed off. Why? Yeah. Why should I care that this yeah. woman who I've never met is probably per- Catherine Clark, probably perfectly nice, perfectly nice person? Tweet is something I disagree with. I think it's facile and dumb, but who cares? I mean, I say facile, dumb stuff all the time. I've probably said a hundred facile, dumb things during this conversation. And, and Catherine Clark's not like losing her mind somewhere saying, you know, I just uh, have to write a Facebook post about this. John Kay's an idiot. Um, But, but we, we kind of invent problems. 
Um, and we think and the, that we'll, and the place where we talk about our invented problems is Twitter. So yeah, well, and, other, and the other way, I, I talk about my invented problems everywhere. I I played disc golf today, and trust me, my my disc golf partners heard a lot about my invented problems. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, living with me is a real treat. <laughs> We're gonna have to leave it at that, uh, Jonathan K. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Jody. Do you have any last uh, comments for our guest? No, I'm still uh, I'm still hung up on the hungry hippos part of the. <laughs> you know what? It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um. I think the world championships are in Copenhagen this year. So I, again, but it's the hungry hippo, hippo is inside you. Like <laughs> you know, it, there's a lot of mental work, lay off the actual game and just do the work inside you. That's necessary. We'll get, get a container ship. We'll get muttons Maserati over to uh, Copenhagen and uh, we'll, what's this guy's, sorry, what's this guy's first name? Mutton? John like, John Mutton is his name. And is Mutton spelled like the kind of meat no one likes? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, John Mutton. And what is, what is your podcast? You should probably advertise your podcast. So my podcast is uh, the Quillette podcast. So okay. it's, again, it's like it's the best a man can get. So it's Q-U-I. It's, it's spelled like Gillette, but with Q-U. Sure. And, and uh, I mean, Quillette, it's, our, our main product is, is the website and essays. I, I write there sometimes, but I'm mostly an editor. Um, you know, we have many, many wonderful writers, um, but we also have a podcast. And if you're on Stitcher or iTunes, uh, Apple, wherever you get your your podcasts, uh, if you just enter that in the search engine, um, yeah, the Quillette Podcast. Soon, and, soon to be sponsored by Municipal Solutions. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I, I want to apologize in advance because maybe Municipal Solutions, their budget, ad budget is limited because of all the Maseratis they're buying. And if they end up advertising with me and your ad gets yanked it's yeah, not personal right. it's um, just business it's just business yeah, that's yeah. right yeah we're uh, it's just monopoly again it's yeah. monopoly money yeah exactly jonathan k thank you for joining and another thing podcast it's been a pleasure it was fun